Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 17. That's where we are this morning. 1 Chronicles, chapter 17. So, um, kind of midway through your Bibles, you'll see Numbers, Deuteronomy, Judges, Ruth. You'll see the books of Samuel, the books of Kings, and after the books of Kings, you'll see the book of 1 Chronicles. We're in chapter 17. Uh, The longest monarch in the nation of England, or what is sometimes called the United Kingdom, is uh, Queen Elizabeth, the one who currently reigns there. I uh, was kind of surprised to realize that Queen Elizabeth has now been reigning as Queen of England for 67 years, 67 years. And so she is the longest reigning mar- monarch in the nation of England. But she's not the longest monarch to have uh, reigned in the world. Actually, there was a king of a country called Swaziland in Africa who reigned for 89 years, started his reign very early and lived a long life. Uh, Just out of curiosity, I looked up some information on the shortest reign of any monarch and found that a guy named King Louis XIX in France in 1830 reigned for 20 minutes (laughs) before he was succeeded (laughs) by the king after him. If I were to ask you, what is one word that describes the theme of the Bible? One word that describes what the Bible is about, what gets to the main essence of the Bible, I wonder what you would say. You might say salvation. That would be a good answer. You might say God's glory. I think that would be a good answer as well. But I think the better answer, and maybe the best answer, is the kingdom of God. The Bible is primarily about the kingdom. What do I mean when I say the kingdom? Here's how I'm going to define kingdom for you today. God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's what the Bible is about. Think about it. You look at the Garden of Eden. What do you have? Adam and Eve, God's people, in God's place, the Garden of Eden, under God's rule, the authority of God. And then you look to the very end of the Bible, in the book of uh, Revelation, and you see the same thing. God's people in the New Jerusalem, that's God's place under God's rule as God comes down in the form of Jesus to be with his people. And everything that happens in between is telling us how the kingdom was lost and how God in his grace regained the kingdom. That's what the Bible is about. Have you thought of the Bible in that way? When you read it, do you expect to learn about the kingdom? This helps us to see that really the Bible is not so much just a guide for morality, although it is that, and it's not really just about getting Jesus in your heart, although that's part of it as well. It's more about the kingdom. And so as we continue through Route 66, our sermon series here, where I am attempting to go through the entire Bible, one sermon per Bible book, so that we can learn the entire overarching Bible story, we get to this passage in 1 Chronicles that is essential for understanding the kingdom. First Chronicles, I also discovered here this week that First Chronicles is the least preached book in the Bible. That would be a little hard to discern, but uh, the article that I saw 
made that claim, and it could be that none of you has heard a sermon from the book of First Chronicles. But we're going to keep going, plugging through our Route 66 series, and so here we are. Some background information about First Chronicles. We do not know who wrote the book. Again, we know the Holy Spirit wrote the book, but the human instrument, um, we don't know. Written probably around 400 years before the coming of Christ. Theme, covenant, temple, and kingship. These come up throughout the book. Significant events, we can basically break it down into two parts. The genealogies that are contained there in the first nine chapters, nine chapters of genealogies. And then the rest of the book talks about the reign of David as king. But what we see in 1 Chronicles is all the good stuff about David. Um, because you might know that the life of David is described in the books of First and Second Samuel as well. And we get the bad stuff and the good stuff there, but mostly all just the good stuff in First Chronicles. First Chronicles doesn't tell us about David's uh, adultery with Bathsheba, for instance. Doesn't talk about Saul chasing David throughout the wilderness and all the hardships and difficulty that David experienced. The writer of First Chronicles is attempting to present to us a positive, kind of glorified portrait of David. And so this passage here in First Chronicles 17 uh, has to do with the covenant promise that God has made to David. It's also recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so we're going to be talking about kind of these two things, kingship and covenant, and kind of how they're related. The covenant promise made to David here is what we're going to see is all about the kingdom, the coming kingdom of God. And the question that we want to ask and be thinking about as we look at, as we look at this passage is this, am I a citizen of that kingdom? Do I live in that kingdom? And is Jesus my king? Let's think about that as we read this passage. So let's stand. First Chronicles 17, 1 through 15. Now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in, for I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, but I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be dis disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. 
When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. God, we look to you now by your spirit to give us understanding and clarity. Help us to behold the truth of your word now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as we think about the kingdom of God, as it is declared to us here in this passage, I want to explore at least three things. Three things that we'll really need to grasp as we seek to understand what is true about the kingdom. And the first one is David as a human king. David as a human king. King. Now, we're going through, again, Route 66, one book of the Bible at a time, and what I'm doing is following the order of these books as they appear in the scriptures. And what that means is sometimes we're going to kind of jump back a few steps chronologically. So you might remember, we've already looked at the life of David to some degree. In fact, we've looked at the life of Manasseh, who came after David. But here we are in First Chronicles, and we're going back to uh, consider the life of David. And so uh, this is something you should probably know that most of, uh, or much of what we find in First Chronicles is repetition of material found in Second Samuel. It's not exactly the same, not everything is included, and some things in First Chronicles are not in Second Samuel, but a lot of repeat material, kind of like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get some repeat material there also, four different perspectives on the life of Jesus. We have some different perspectives on the life of David. And the second uh, book of Second Chronicles uh, repeats much of what we find in First and Second Kings. Okay, so we're, we're going back a little bit in time, and so by way of review, as we begin this chapter in First One, um, we see that um, we have a mention of the Ark of the Covenant, for instance. So we learned about the Ark back in the book of Numbers. The Ark of the Covenant is where the Ten Commandments were held, kept. And um, verse 1 goes on to talk about how the ark is under a tent. And you might remember that this tent was the tabernacle. The book of Exodus gave descriptions for how the tabernacle was to be built. The tabernacle was the place where God's people would come and they would meet with God and they would worship him. The tabernacle was kind of like a church. But the tabernacle was portable. They took it down and they transported it to the next place and set it up. And that was the instructions that God gave to them. So this is looking back to uh, the book of Exodus and Numbers. And um, what the chronicler here is doing, again, is giving us a positive portrait of David. So he's wanting to present to us um, the godly nature of David. Remember the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. And we see that in 1 Chronicles and we see that here in this passage uh, pretty clearly as well. So here's how the verse or the chapter begins. When David lived in his house, so David's in his house now, and 
he's really not doing much in his house, and one of the reasons we know that is if we look at the account in 2 Samuel 7, it says that David had rest from his enemies at the time. So a lot of the battling and warfare that had been going on, it was, had ceased for a time. It was a time of peace. And so here is David, he, he's at his house, he's kind of kicking back, and you know, he's kind of taking it easy. And what is it that David thinks about? I mean, it's quite startling here. I mean, when I have some downtime and, and I kind of want to relax, I mean, I, I kind of think about looking at scores on ESPN, you know, I'm going to get some records out, you know, and play some music. You know, I got some downtime. I'm going to relax. So here's, here's David in this time of downtime, and what he thinks about is, how can I honor and do something pleasing to my God? That's, that's what he's drawn to do. He's thinking about, how am I honoring God? And what occurs to him here is this. He says, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Ark of Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. So David is kind of disturbed here. He's, he's bothered, he's maybe even a little embarrassed about the fact that he's living in this nice house made of cedar and expensive wood. He's comfortable in this house, and then he realizes that God lives in this portable tent, the Ark representing his presence. And he thinks to himself, this is not right. This has got to change. And so, what, what does he do? Well, he speaks to the person who is with him. And who is it who is with him? Nathan. Well, who is Nathan? It says in verse 1, he's a prophet. One of the responsibilities of a prophet was to counsel, to speak the word of God to the king. And so, here we see another example of David, a man after God's own heart. He's resting, it's downtime for David, and yet who is he hanging out with? The prophet. I mean, you see plenty of other examples in uh, the Old Testament of how kings did not get along so well with the prophets because they didn't like what the prophets had to say. But here is David keeping the prophet nearby. He wants to be open to what God has to say to him. He's sensitive and alert and waiting for God's direction. And so he says to Nathan, I don't like this. I'm in a house of cedar, God is in a tent. He says this to Nathan in verse two, Nathan says to David then, do all that is in your heart for God is with you. So basically, Nathan says, do it, go for it. David, that's a good idea. Build a house for God. Now at this point, we gotta be looking at this and thinking, what could possibly be wrong with this? <laughs> I mean, this just seems like a really good idea, but there's something that David and Nathan forgot to do. The best of men are men of best. <laughs> and even very godly men sometimes have their blind spots and, and forget things. And there's something that David and Nathan forgot to do. They did not inquire of God about this plan. David's got this big idea about the kingdom of God. And so he wants to build a house for God. But is that what God wanted? That's something that David and Nathan didn't stop to ask. And so God comes to Nathan that night, verse 3, and God says to Nathan, here's what I want you to say to David. Thanks, but no thanks. Thanks for this idea about building a house, but uh, I'll pass. Because what God says here in 
verse 5, he says, I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, since the time I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. And from the time you've gone from tent to tent and dwelling to dwelling, described in the book of Numbers, he said, I never lived in a house during that time and all the places where I moved. I didn't speak a word with any of the judges. Not only have I not lived in a house all of this time, God says, I never even asked for it, actually. End of verse 6. I've never said, why have you not built me a house of cedar? I, I don't need you to build me a house, David. I've got something better in mind. Now, I don't think God is intending to rebuke David here. David hasn't done anything wrong here. He's not sinning. I mean, his heart is right. He wants to do something for God. He wants to do something good. He wants to do something right. But what he wants to do is not the best. And this is something I think that is, provides for us a, a lesson to kind of think about, it, and that is that sometimes when it comes to the kingdom of God, our ideas of what is good, are not always the best. Our spirits are right, our hearts are right, we want to do good, but for whatever reason, we're so convinced of our own idea, we don't consult God, we don't inquire of Him, we don't listen to His Word, and we go forward with something that might be good and not the best. You know, it's good to be politically active. It's good to be politically aware and politically committed. But when it comes to the ushering in of the kingdom of God, that is not the best way to do it. It's good to be culturally, <coughs> culturally relevant. It's good to pay attention to culture and make adjustments and to see how we can connect with the culture around us. But when it comes to the ushering in of the kingdom of God, that's not the best way. 